0: Much to discuss, once again, a absolute classic quadruple overtime game. We're going to discuss that actually at the end, so we can really go through possession by possession and break down what happened, but for people who aren't interested in that level of granular detail, that's why we put that game at the end. Let's start with the game that just concluded, though, here. Houston keeping their season alive against Golden State, getting it to 2-1 and... I think two things stick out to me here. There's a, a lot of themes from this game. One is that James Harden had, I think, his first really good game in this series. And the second is that Steph Curry was awful.
1: Curry was awful. And and for me, the, the overarching take of this game was that Houston deserved to win. I thought they outplayed the Warriors significantly in the first three quarters. Durant's run at the beginning of the fourth really brought them back in. And now once you get down to like the final minute, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, I thought that the, the the dynamic shifted, but I thought Houston, like, they had a lot of guys really step up. Harden, 41 points, 14 to 32, 5 to 13 from three, made all of his free throws. But Eric Gordon, I mean, he was really one of the engines that helped when they were trying to get things going. I liked his drive game. Personally, I, I also love the aesthetic of his drive game. He just works hard, gets the basket, but also 7 to 14 from three. So he had 30 points on 21 shooting possessions in 45 minutes of action.
0: Yeah, big minute totals for everyone and this one KD 50 minutes and he he only sat for I think about a minute 30 in the second half and really I mean Houston controlled this throughout it looked like it was going to go poorly for them at first Golden State led 18 to 11 at the first TV timeout when everyone was completely exhausted. Uh, It didn't come until like 5 minutes and 30 seconds left in the first quarter. But then Golden State went to their bench and particularly at the start of the second quarter and even the end of the first they went with units where they're playing conventional pick and roll defense on Chris Paul. Chris Paul was able to get going just enough and then more importantly Golden State just could not score to save their lives with those groups that included Bogut and Looney and Jerebko who was negative 11. I mean, and I also thought that the way they were trying to get KD the ball didn't work. And you contrast that with the first few minutes of the fourth quarter when KD had 10 points on four possessions by just ISOing up top.
1: Yeah, and some of that was personnel because they swapped out Jarebko for Andre Godala, who is a more competent passer, and somebody whose opponents respect his, his shot and his ball creation a lot more. But a lot of it was Kevin Durant, and an, an important n- wrinkle of that beginning of the fourth quarter was that a large portion of it, P.J. Tucker was sitting at the scorer's table. D'Antoni did not have Tucker in. He had been in foul trouble. He basically sat for the entire third. When Durant also had, I think he had eight points in the first two minutes of the third quarter, and then he was sitting at at the scores table maybe D'Antoni didn't expect Durant to start straight up start the fourth quarter and he was Durant was doing that work on basically everybody else he got some rhythm on Capella, did a little bit on on James Harden and that brought the Warriors from a seven point deficit to a one point lead and then it was largely nip and tuck for the rest of the game A
0: few other larger notes here both teams shot extremely well from downtown uh, the Warriors started three of 16 and then they made 11 of their last 17 threes and lost
1: well and and notable that of who did not really contribute as much. That Stephen Curry, two of nine from three. Klay Thompson, two of sixteen. Instead, Durant six of ten. Iguodala had three of three of four and hit two huge threes, one in regulation, one in overtime. And you know the other support guys didn't take a lot of them and didn't miss a lot of them either. But we should get back to Steph Curry. I mean, this was a shockingly bad game from him in a couple of different ways. I'm sure the easy place to start, and it's and it's where we should start, is his abject failure at the rim in this game He ended up two for nine. It was two for eight, and then he (laughs) that he sprited a dunk when the Warriors were down. I think they were down. They were down five. five. They were down five.
0: I mean, they could have potentially at least still been in it there. And and Uh, so so
1: he does that, but two for nine. Some of those were contested. I didn't have any problem with the one that he missed. That Austin Rivers got a little bit. Some people thought there was a hand on the back. I didn't see that too much. But a lot of them were, you know, him being cognizant of like a James Harden contest. There was one of those. Like it was kind of a floater push shot. Chris Paul a couple of times and so
0: yeah Rivers blocked him once yeah so the it, was, it
1: was just a crazy a crazy game from from Steph he wasn't creating as much also with the ball in his hands for other people four assists three turnovers but the other part I wanted to emphasize was he had some truly awful defensive possessions as well there was one that was really memorable where it was a hardened Austin Rivers pick and pop Curry gets you know they don't really get the switch Curry's getting back to Austin Rivers, he's basically there, Draymond Green is a few feet away, and Curry just points to Draymond Green like, oh, you go get him, and Curry wasn't going to defend anybody, there was nobody in the vicinity, he just walked away, Austin Rivers drills the open three.
0: Yeah, and in the fourth quarter, Feldman just had this 0-for-6 shooting, no points, no rebounds, no assists, no steals, no blocks, one turnover, four fouls in the fourth quarter and overtime. And and remember, the
1: part of that where the Warriors were best offensively was when Curry was not on the floor. We were emphasizing, you know, oh, let's, let's see if the Rockets can push the lead, if they can build some sort of advantage before Curry and Draymond Green get on the floor. They didn't, but then ended up going to overtime. They ended up winning in overtime. And Draymond, I think this was another good example. He did end up with a good game with uh, 19, 11, and 10, but Green is so noted in his absence. When he is not on the floor, Houston is able to do so much more around the basket. And Houston deserves a lot of credit for attacking the basket more aggressively. And also, they, in the early part of the game especially in that frantic first six minutes they were starting early in the shot clock
0: yeah that I mean they're always gonna revert back to more isolation play and going slower the longer the game goes on with Harden he certainly had plenty of plays where he could have gone faster at the end but yeah I mean to outs it was actually pretty interesting in the first half Rockets had 13 fast break points and the Warriors had zero in the second half the Warriors had 12 fast break points and the Rockets had zero (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, for the Rockets to win that category is really important. They played harder than the Warriors. P.J. Tucker, five offensive rebounds. Capella, five offensive rebounds. They got down the floor faster. That really unlocked Gordon. In particular, we talked on the last show about how are you going to get Eric Gordon a higher usage rate to get him to the 20 field goal attempts that he got tonight and he's not really a pick and roll guy or an iso guy although he did hit a big three on curry in the overtime but to get him against a scramble defense that really unlocks his drive game so of Just an effort to push it early on, I thought was extremely important, and the Warriors had a lot of breakdowns matching up in transitions. Rare that you'll see, I think the Rockets actually had fewer defensive mistakes than the Warriors did in this game, which is remarkable when you consider that the Warriors run a lot more complex stuff. Than the Rockets do, um, and Harden brought him home. He had that floater to push it to five again in the overtime. He hit that huge three over Iguodala, and I thought it was interesting even that he was isoing down the end. A lot of it just straight up against Andre Iguodala, and getting some pretty decent looks on him. I, yeah, I thought
1: Iguodala got one block, but overall I thought Harden did well. A challenging decision that D'Antoni faced was that so in the early part of the game, or so the early part of the fourth quarter, Durant was doing a lot of his cooking against Clint Capella then when they went to a lineup involving Austin Rivers instead of Capella it was one of the rare times we've seen PJ Tucker at center in this series then D'Antoni had to figure out how he wanted to handle the remainder of the game most of crunch time he ended up going with Quinn Capella in there and then Capella did the jump in overtime but then we ended up seeing what D'Antoni really wanted which was that after Capella made one of his two shocking assists in this game that where he was on kind of on his butt and threw a lefty pass to PJ Tucker for a shot that ended up becoming incredibly important, but then he brought Austin Rivers back in and I thought Rivers played a really good game and we'll have to see what his availability is because leading into that Curry sprite dunk Austin Rivers got absolutely plastered by a Draymond Green screen
0: yeah and recall that Rivers was unavailable in game one due to illness uh, and they really went with no backup wings other than jail green for a little bit and shumpert who i thought you know he's always going to have some good and bad moments he hit a, a couple of important threes no daniel house at all who's been awful in this series no it kind wasn't of three either and i yet. thought I Nene afraid. played well yeah Nene was good uh, he really had three offensive rebounds um yeah and it really was just i, I thought if there's something to nitpick about golden state strategy kd had 41 points pretty much right at the start of the fourth and we were talking about him potentially outscoring sleepy Floyd's 39 and a half he got 38 and a half earlier in these playoffs but then they really didn't get him going much after that and they went away from him up top getting the matchup that he wanted he tried to go at pj tucker pj tucker really good with the hands bumped him off his shot and kd was only three for 11 from mid-range in this game it was really the three-pointer and getting to the rim and getting fouled that was the big thing and when tucker was on him he really could not Get looks in the mid range at all.
1: Well, and especially Kevin Durant in this system, if he doesn't start a possession with the ball, he doesn't often end up with it because they can yeah. go to other guys, and PJ Tucker can be good at ball denial. And so it goes in with something Kerr is a wonderful coach, but really you can talk about this in terms of personnel adjustments, can talk about it in terms of scheme. He really only deviates from what he wants to do when they're in trouble, when they're down in a series, when they're yeah. when they're down in a game. And he let KD do his thing for the beginning of the fourth but even though that worked super well and there was no structural reason to believe that that would not continue it it went back to the beautiful game Curry and Thompson and Thompson hit Thompson hit some shots Iguodala hit some shots but I mean Kevin Durant had been absolutely monstrous
0: yeah, and KD did, did have that big assist to yeah. Iguodala. And, and maybe he was too tired
1: it. to to push through that. I mean, he ended up yeah. with 50 minutes. He was at 45 at the end of regulation. It, w- it might have been unreasonable to just ride him all the way to the finish.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting that Kerr, they trust the bench less than ever at this point, it, it seems like. And well, I think he trusted so. them
1: early in this game, and then they betrayed that trust. But some of that yeah. was just putting a no-hope lineup on the floor. I mean, you have yeah. a group that had no defensive theory. All of their best defenders were unavailable. We're not on the floor. And we're largely doing it. I mean, Chris Paul got to be his pick-and-roll best self. And whether that was Bogan on the floor, Looney didn't look as good. Looney hasn't defended Chris Paul very well in the series. But having Iguodala, Draymond, both off the floor at the same time creates these really big problems. And because the Rockets stagger their guys, they're going to have somebody who can take advantage.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe they need to dust off Jordan Bell or Quinn Cook. I mean, yeah. they can't be any worse than the guys they've been playing in those spots. Well, yeah,
1: and, and Quinn Cook can at least create a little bit with the ball in his hand, so it's not going to be just like give the ball to Clay Thompson and see if he can do something. That was well, some of what they did at the end of that first qu- at the end of the beginning and second, which was so disastrous.
0: Um, what else po- popped out to you here? Anything in particular from a strategic standpoint, or guys you thought played particularly well or poorly? Capella was better to me.
1: Yeah, I, I thought he was better too, and that's part of what made it a harder decision for D'Antoni, I still love the contributions that P.J. Tucker's making in this series. You know, he's not always going to, he had a few huge offensive rebounds in this game as well. But again, like I talked about with Draymond Green, you note P.J. Tucker's absence more than anything else because there is nobody else in this team that can do the same things he does. And so that means when he gets in foul trouble, he played 34 minutes in this game, but he, he sat for most of the third quarter. I, that was huge.
0: Well, and the Warriors' inability to take advantage in the first half of that quarter with him on the bench, I thought, that Harden did a much better job with his drive game. Mm -hmm. 5 of 8 at the rim, 4 of 10 from floater range. So 18 shot attempts in the paint for him. And it's weird. I mean, he, he... crashes into draymond green every time on those floaters that green is contesting didn't get any of those foul calls i don't know that you should i mean that's a really tough call the after the guy has released the floater most guys don't get that call uh frankly but i I thought harden once he kind of realized that draymond he always wants to stunt towards harden and get back to capella if he's in the game that if he's just gonna drive you gotta drive until Draymond green jumps at you and then make the pass um and so I think he had a couple of times where he actually outfeinted Draymond in the second half and just went right in for a layup.
1: And there wasn't as much help that I could see from like the weak side. Remember, Klay Thompson had been really big on those Harden-Capella Harden, Dr- lobs, and I think that was game one. Didn't see as much of that. Question I want to ask you, I've been processing this for since, since the game ended. Did this fundamentally change anything about how you see the series?
0: Well... I thought this game, we talked about the first two games not being as close as they appeared in the Warriors' favor. This game to me wasn't as close as it appeared in the Rockets' favor. And, you know, it's now been three games of Steph Curry doing very little. And whether it's the ankle, whether he's just not that good anymore. Or yeah whatever it is um you know and maybe i think his left-handed finishing you know i'd forgotten about the the finger maybe that's uh, that's messing up his finishing you know clay thompson hasn't been himself either he had a pretty severe ankle sprain in that clippers series so uh, you know kd has been awesome uh but to have this type of a game from him and not win it to shoot 42 percent from three and also only turn the ball over eight times usually when the warriors don't turn it over they're golden but Uh,
1: And they took more free throws than the Rockets, too.
0: Yeah. Now, can Golden State clean some things up defensively? Absolutely. I mean, this was a, a very efficient offensive game for the Rockets. That's another reason for optimism, too. I mean, this is the first really efficient game that the Rockets have had offensively. And some of those were Warriors' mistakes. Some of them were actually pushing the ball up the floor. So I do feel better about things for the Rockets than I did. They're obviously massive underdogs, even if they win the next game in this series.
1: Well, and how differently do you feel, though, if the Warriors just go for a two-for-one at the end of regulation? I mean, that that was was one of the single worst... And you could... I, I think it's a failure of coaching because the coach could have just called the timeout. Yeah. No, you have to. They're shooting free Houston is shooting free throws. I believe it was it was hard. Harden is shooting free throws with 38.7 seconds left. And he makes the second free throw to cut them to make it a tie game. It is a pretty straightforward call. The Warriors had two timeouts left. You want to try to get that shot 30 seconds or before. You advance the ball, but not only did they not advance the ball, It ended up in the hands of Kevin Durant, who does not push the ball. He's a spectacular player. He had a great game. That's just not what he does. And so that led to a slower possession. Instead, it was one and one. They didn't get, incidentally, neither team got a particularly good look on those two possessions. And and it it was tied.
0: Like, if you're up one, okay, run the time down as much as you can. But if it's tied, you have to get the two for one in that situation. They they didn't do that. Now, Houston's possession going the other way when they didn't call time was also pretty atrocious. Harden,
1: Harden, I. Isol- or sorry, no, Chris Paul, Paul isolating on Klay Thompson. Yeah, that w- that wasn't great either. And Durant took that contested 17-footer. That that was the shot that they missed. And then Houston, after PJ got the rebound, they went back the other way. But yeah, I, I mean, I think that that it's it's a it's a, s- a small thing in terms of you know you could think of the arc of the game, but it is such low hanging fruit. It's you yeah. create an, you create a possession out of thin air. And if if the Warriors, even though the Rockets outplayed them in this game, if you give the Warriors two chances and you give the Rockets won. They have a much better chance than if you make it one-to-one.
0: Yeah, and I thought D'Antoni, when it looked okay, they they got the rebound. They weren't going to push it up, but when it looked like the possession was devolving into Chris Paul going one-on-one on clay, I probably would have called the timeout there. I mean, I know it's got to be difficult to take the ball out of the hands of your Hall of Famer and say, hey, I don't think that you're...
1: One uh, of your Hall you of have, Famers. You have a,
0: yeah, you have a great matchup. But uh, how does Harden, who's, who had it going in this game, not get well, the chance there? And
1: since I'm looking at the thing, I we've, I had already forgotten about the hilarious clay thompson chris paul jump ball because remember there was that tie-up with about a second left if the warriors win that tie-up theoretically maybe they could have gotten a shot off but chris paul does the he jumps and jumps before it before it happens and then ends up kind of stealing it but nobody gets that's a a
0: good strategy if you're a short dude is just like jump before like just try and like time it to jump slightly before the ball actually goes in in the air uh and he just kept trying to do it and he actually won the tip it was a terrible throw as it always seems to be it was in the Denver game last night too um but yeah I mean I think really as much as you want to go back to all this stuff down the end of the game Houston got better shots than the Warriors in this game yes uh And they got 38% offensive rebounds and the Warriors had 16%. And so that was a, a huge difference in this game. And Houston played harder at home with their backs against the wall. Capella was much more playable. So we'll see what happens now in game four. These teams know each other really well. Other than maybe trying to get Cook or Bell in the game when James Harden is out of the game to start the second quarter, get some more spacing in the form of Cook rather than Livingston or Bell, some more switchability so you don't get into a a conventional pick and roll defense situation looney by the way can't guard guard paul in an iso for some reason um did better later in the game when he actually succeeded in forcing him left but uh so but they have they have no faith in bell and cook has been way out of the rotation but you know bell actually was good against the rockets last year i don't know if they think he's a worse player now but i i think he could potentially contribute um yeah and we'll see i mean houston has shot the three ball now pretty darn well these last two games over 40 percent in both we'll see whether that continues obviously they did not do that a year ago but that's the one thing they're probably a little better at this year than they were last year is the support guys three-point shooting with uh trevor ariza who was really you know probably the poster child of of those misses um all right we got to get to buck celtics and then we will do that classic blazers nuggets game right after this So before we move on, I want to tell you about 4 the wellness brand for men, which will get you access to physician consultations and prescription treatments online. If you go to 4 they'll connect you to a doctor online. There may be some private things that you're not necessarily comfortable discussing in person with your doctor, but now you can consult with a physician and get prescriptions delivered right to your door in discreet packaging, whether it's for hair loss, sexual wellness, quelling your nerves for a, a big presentation or interview. Forhymns.com is a place that to get all of that. My listeners could get a special offer. Get started for just ten dollars when you go to forhimscom dunkdon. Different code for this one that's duncdon. forhimscom slash dunkdon. See website for full details and safety information. f-r-h-i-m-s.com dunkdon. So Zach Lowe tweeted about this. We've reached the point now. Now, talked about it in the Philly Toronto series. Now it's happening to Boston, where the road team down two games to one on the ropes after what I thought was really a pretty dominating performance from the the Milwaukee Bucks and Kyrie Irving's free agency has never seemed closer uh, than right now but how did the Bucks really control this game throughout the second half
1: I thought that their defense overall was better I mean when you look at the full game numbers it looks like Boston's offense was stronger but before the bonkers last five minutes oh my god Boston had a 103 offensive rating in this game and they were struggling I I thought Brooke Lopez did a a, a strong job defensively. Giannis was helping more. And other than, and I thought Bledsoe, like he was this weird dichotomy with him defensively, where I thought most of his possessions were pretty good, but then he had this bevy of dumb vowels, especially the one that he committed on Kyrie at the end of the first quarter. But I thought really in the second half, they stabilized there. And then I I thought it was a mix of offense and defense, but I thought George Hill really gave them some too. Yeah,
0: George Hill, the last two years uh, after that great 16 17 in Utah, at least when he was healthy to play he only played about half the year had really been almost a wallflower uh, and didn't do much as a cavalier last year it was just kind of a stopgap maybe he'd make an open three uh, he then came to milwaukee this year didn't do much in milwaukee he was shooting terribly from downtown injures his groin misses like a month comes back and all of a sudden he's like the superman uh, playing as well as he did uh, a few years ago and
1: well and what's more than that george hill stepped in when pat when eric bledsoe got in foul trouble and i thought outplayed him and you could yeah. make an argument that Bledsoe getting in foul trouble helped the Bucks win this game
0: well and then you consider too uh, what they've had to do without Malcolm Brogdon who uh, has been a stalwart I think it's been an interesting question of whether smart or Brogdon is the more valuable player to his team but Hill, I mean, he looked so smart he even had a dunk where he just went right down the lane which we haven't seen much from him he's taking threes off the dribble all, all of a sudden uh, and just an outstanding game game for him overall 21 points on nine of 12 two of three from downtown he's been an excellent cutter had three offensive rebounds three of their seven offensive rebounds in this game so he's really provided a, a lot of athleticism um Connaughton was really good in the first half of this game although he might be the most comical overcommitter to three-point shot fakes that i've ever seen i mean he just like sprints at the guy and just regardless of what he does is just going to jump absolutely as high as he can well trying to block and, a potential three-point shot and
1: it was compounded by it actually working I believe that was on Terry Rozier in the corner Connaughton did get a oh, yeah. block on a three and and high-fived like a friend of his that happened to be in the front row right next to that play yeah because he's and from
0: Massachusetts he's right? from
1: Massachusetts and then he and then he just kept on doing it for the entire rest of the game I mean that we'll see if that's in Boston's scattering report by game two but I mean you could even go George Hill by himself outscored Boston's bench Pat Connaughton by himself almost outscored Boston's
0: bench. yeah and Boston was supposed to be this fabulous deep team and really... Now, it's been their starters, and then Gordon Hayward, and they're really relying on those six guys. Baines only played two minutes. Ogilvy played 11, but he picked up five well-deserved fouls in those 11 minutes. And Rozier, who was so good in game one, really has given them nothing. Since then, he had zero points in 14 minutes himself. The reason that Steven said he didn't play Baines was that it's tough for him. He, I think they've determined that he can't guard Giannis. And after he had a ton of fouls in game two. And so if he's not going to guard Giannis, then he's got to guard a three-point shooter. They don't... all Anyone else, even Marcus Morris who is a pretty tough guy like marcus morris has guarded lebron james successfully before and Giannis just goes right through him right by him anytime like the only guy on this team who has a chance to guard Giannis is horford and now that they're actually calling fouls in favor of Giannis when he's just getting bodied up like crazy which he, he was not getting in game one they played him better as well but and we'll talk about the things that they need to do better against Giannis. but uh they can't stay in front of him anymore and horford is the only one who really has much of a chance it's a you know one one and then Baines has to guard a three-point shooter is what Stevens was saying I still think you might try that especially because they went to Tice for a little bit too and, and Ojale just wasn't able to get it done I mean I, he and he was successful last year against Giannis and Giannis has just gotten so much better and they have so much more spacing that that's just not really the case any longer so I, I mean maybe this is the time to talk about that Giannis 22 free throw attempts 16 to 22 from the line 8 of 13 only took one three-pointer what do they need to do better against him? defensively obviously he's an overwhelming force to be sure but I think there are some things that could be improved
1: before we get into that something I want to mention just because the officiating has become a little bit of a story since the game happened and we and when we're recording this from personal experience when when we do the NBA cast I find myself watching the officiating more closely because we get access to replays we have two screens and people are asking us about it a lot I thought by and large and there were some exceptions just as there would be in any NBA game I thought most of these fouls were legit and that yes he got there a lot and it was good evidence that a free throw disparity is not always evidence of inequity sometimes it can just and and also the disparity ended up being closer than one would have expected considering Boston doesn't really get to the line that much so the reason why Boston has to do something here is that Giannis was earning these fouls and when the player is earning those fouls you expect that they will be called in the future
0: yeah I, I think that's right and you know there was one play where Tatum looked like he got a pretty good block and Giannis got called for a. There's another play right at the start of the half where Giannis stepped through on on Jalen Braun and kind of gave him the chicken wing. That'll get called every now and again, and then Braun obviously fouled him right after that. But when you have two hands on the ball and you step through like that, usually you're not going to get the foul call. It's when you take that hand off and actually wrap it around the guy. So that one was borderline. And then I thought Giannis got called for a total bullshit charge uh, on Tice where the only contact was Tice sticking his forearm out outside of his torso area and creating contact wasn't really in front of him at all. Giannis is trying to basically go laterally, not even towards the basket and, and Tice falls down. So, uh there's one that people were complaining about with a, a blocking foul on O'Gle if you look at the above the rim view, that one was very obvious to me. So, no, I didn't think that the refereeing was particularly favorable either way. Yeah, the Celtics got a lot of free throws at the in the fourth quarter and that when Milwaukee was basically giving their absolute best to, to give the game away but fortunately for them they started with like an 18 point lead with uh six minutes left so yeah they and, didn't yeah it's worth
1: noting yeah the free throw disparity was 25 to 16 in the first three quarters and then I, yeah. it was probably even more stark before the very end of the game but to get back to your original question because yeah. I think this is worth spending some real time on in my eyes the way to it at- to attack Giannis is to have a uniform plan of attack and that means direction help and communication so it doesn't particularly particularly matter with him he's not James Harden where you really want him to go one direction or the other you just want to know which direction you're forcing him because then that structures the way you're going to help recover and rotate and whichever way you choose to do that whichever way you want to do it or if you want to have some sort of a communication system where you're changing that direction but everybody on your defense knows it by all means if, if, if Boston is ambitious enough and believes they can pull that off they can but the reason why is because when you give Giannis the choice it's so hard to react and it's even harder to react in time with proper personnel
0: yeah i think especially when it's anyone other than horford guarding him they basically need to just pick a side that they're going to send him to not quite you know the way they've done with james harden but just say okay once he gets going this way we're gonna keep him going this way and we're gonna have the help in that direction because he covers so much ground with his euro step and spin moves against anyone except horford that you're just if you're gonna let him spin back or you're gonna let him euro step you're just going to get beat and and you're going to give up a layup or you're going to have no choice but to foul and so i think they need to decide okay once he gets going one way we're going to keep sending him that way probably the way you want to send him is through the direction where they've got two shooters on that side instead of one if he's coming in and then you're you're sending him to a direction where all you have is a corner shooter on the strong side and then his defender either has to step in to get to the box and force a pass well then you're going to have an easy pass one pass away for an open corner three which you don't want to give up so it's really I think dependent on where Milwaukee's offensive players are you want to send him to where more of the offensive players are so that you can then get help another huge issue to me i thought there are two other things schematically one is they're willing to just give up the switch on any kind of a screening credit mike budenholzer for setting a lot more screens for Giannis with smaller players they did some off ball stuff we highlighted that in game two where they set a screen for him to get to the free throw line catch it on the move and attack the rim with a smaller player or a lot of on ball screens as well uh, especially with low Lopez, where they would try to get the switch and get someone like Morris or Tatum who had absolutely no chance against him or Hayward against Giannis and those guys just can't stop and so I think what you really have to do is you got to just go under on those plays and trust uh, Al Horford to, to do that instead of just we're going to switch this and yeah maybe they run it back and you try and go under again and, and then you you end up having to switch but at least you're switching then when you're closer to the rim where he's not going to be able to just get like a, a head of steam and blow by because his strides are so long and he's so fast that if you're pressuring up on him at all in the perimeter you're just going to get blown by and that brings up the second point here which is all of a sudden they decided Giannis is some really good three-point shooter and yeah I know he went five and nine in the first two games but overall in the season he's like a 30% guy and yeah he shot it better after after January 1st and all this but I mean pick your poison and at least make him make some in that particular well, well, game and, and first. Here,
1: beyond that here's the point even if Giannis is a better three-point shooter than he was earlier in this season he's still better as a driver and a finisher and a foul drawer than as a three-point shooter you know if you're doing the points per possession one way or the other I'm giving up the three almost every time
0: yeah I mean and, and you say to him all right you want to shoot 10 threes go ahead because then in individual defense like Al Horford is like jumping in the air at his pump fakes and he's getting so far out on the floor like feeling like he has to contest this three and now Al Horford can't stop him anymore either he's getting blown by as well and so and now you're not able to really build that wall the way they had before now the Bucks have hit a bunch of threes too which has opened up the lane quite a bit and maybe they feel like they don't want Giannis to get ahead of steam but he's getting the head of steam anyway if you're going to respect that shot so all right he goes he makes his first four threes okay maybe then you switch up in the game but it really seems like they've overreacted to him making five out of nine in the first two games and he he only took one three points I mean like you are not playing good enough defense on him if you're he's only shooting one threes oh for one and that came pretty late in the game and but you're still getting way out there on him and letting him drive to the basket like you're he's willing to take that shot clearly when you back off of him so make him take it like the mix is just just not good enough you are overreacting to the three-point shot when you consider that distribution yeah he's really aggressive and you know he's going to eat up that space and all that but at least you can get a little bit more help with the boxes and elbows than if the guy's going to get blown by and it's full speed now if there's someone waiting there for him now he's got to at least kind of slow down and evaluate be worried about someone taking the charge uh, etc um so that that's obviously a major problem for boston defensively and you know maybe they try and get Baines on the floor to just they because they have absolutely zero rim protection at all aside from Horford and the whole idea of this unit where was we're going to switch and we're going to prevent penetration but I mean they're just these guys can't deal with Giannis like he's just too massive and too good at this point so if you can't prevent penetration by switching and now you're not going to have that rim protection available you know maybe you have to go back to getting some of Horford and Baines and just hope that Horford's going to be able to close or or that Baines is going to be able to close out on the perimeter or maybe you go with Baines on Giannis and then you give Horford a chance to try uh, and provide more help and then maybe Baines can hold up a little bit better and not follow as much although you know I'm I'm worried about his ankle too Uh, there's many ankle injuries that he's had as well he hasn't looked as mobile as he did in the past but um whatever strategy they're going to do the one they have had the last two games and particularly in this game uh, was not effective um but ultimately I think they're bigger bigger problem is on offense in the series as much time as we've spent on that
1: yeah well I think it's because we can identify adjustments more easily on their defensive end that need to be fixed offensively their best players I, I think need to make a little bit more it is notable in this one Jason Tatum seven for nine on twos zero for five on threes and I think the quality of the shots he was getting from two were meaningfully better than from three Marcus Morris got it going a couple of times Jalen Brown got that nasty righty dunk on Giannis but by and large the Celtics are getting worse shots even even if we're acknowledging that they can do better on Giannis, the Celtics are getting worse shots. They had that 10-2 run at the very beginning. They were getting a bunch of open threes, and then the Bucs started started getting better at it. And there are times that Boston can attack a little bit and transition. They can get they can get Milwaukee off rhythm, but they're not getting that many good shots.
0: They're not. And I thought the Bucs actually, aside from their rim protection, which is always awesome, and Boston uh, was 8 of 18 at the rim in this game. By the way, the Celtics... Took 17 free throws in the last five minutes of the game. I mean, it was just, like, Milwaukee actually had just, like, a shitload of mistakes in this game. Bledsoe with a bunch of bad gambles and some really bad fouls even even before that last five minutes i mean i'm so i'm gonna just give the stats here mostly for the first 42 minutes of the game because that last 15 minutes with the bucks just throwing it all over the gym and and fouling the celtics within like three seconds of them touching the ball like it was it was just one of the worst five minutes of a game last five minutes of a game i've ever seen from a team that had that type of a lead and and it was just it shows that it's really hard to come back from down 15 with uh with six minutes left in the game uh but boston despite 14 at 35 three-point shooting. Despite getting a ton of corner threes, which I I thought a lot of those came on errors from the Bucks, Boston was 9 out of 14 on corner threes. And during this competitive portion of the game, I said they're 8 out of 18 at the rim. They're six out of 13 in the first 42 minutes of the game. And they also had the long two working at 7 out of 13. I thought that they got better looks on those long twos than they did in game one. Obviously, though, you can't expect to shoot 54% on long twos. So I thought that Boston just considering that the fundamentals of not getting to the rim are just it's just so difficult to be really efficient when you only take 13 shots at the rim during the competitive portion of the game and I thought things went about as well as they could have for Boston as far as getting to the foul line and just some dumb fouls by Milwaukee which usually doesn't foul Irving getting 12 free throw attempts that that is very rare to see him get that many free throws Tatum not a big free throw guy either so I I think if anything like this is this this is the new normal in the series. I'm not sure what else Boston has uh with the Bucks switching more Brook Lopez actually held up okay in those scenarios. Like they're just not going to get to the rim. And so they just some games they'll be in it when they're really shooting the ball well and they get up a lot of three-pointers and if they're not shooting the ball well from three they just don't have a chance to score efficiently in this series. And now that Giannis has clicked in, we knew he wasn't going to have as bad of a game as he had in game 1. And I'm just not sure where Boston goes from here other than just kind of hoping that th- these jump shots go in for them uh, on offense and you know some of the adjustments we talked about defensively.
1: and what you got to at the end there is why I would be more concerned as Boston because a lot of things went well for Milwaukee they, they got foul calls George Hill played great but also Brooke Lopez offensively was not a huge factor in this game Eric Bledsoe was a negative offensively in this game and so when you think about maybe the bench players take a step back those guys take a step up Middleton had some big shots but it, I, I mean he had 20 points on Tw- on third, 15 shooting possessions. I thought he did well, but he wasn't really truly dominant to me. So Milwaukee, I would say their offense was, a, you know, about at the level of just be whether they make or miss a few shots. And if Boston is at about where we expect them to be, and you think about the gains that they had by at the free throw line and then at the three point line at various moments, that equilibrium, if that's where we are, is not good for Boston's chances of winning the series because now Milwaukee has home court back. They played well in the garden already. And so Boston's going to have to i think they're going to have to win the next two games to feel at all good about this series
0: yeah i mean and may, maybe they wouldn't game four they do have that great home court but this is up to one for the home team is a massive advantage, particularly with the Bucks being better. And we talked about after Game One. All right, can the Bucks play differently? And they have done that to some degree. I think uh, the they've had a few more Middleton isos, more pick and roll for Giannis, more switching defensively. So they have shown some more versatility. Now, perhaps the return of Marcus Smart could change the series a little bit. It's there's some talk that he could come back from that oblique injury. He's going to practice on Sunday as as they've got today. Saturday off. And remember him coming back changed the series last year because now they actually had someone who could guard Middleton in the post. I've been extremely disappointed with Tatum's individual defense. He just has nowhere near the level of physicality required. Guys just go right through him all the time. Bledsoe, for example, has done that. Um, You know, I I think maybe Ojale can continue to get some some time. He did shoot it well, at least. Like that's something that's improved for him since last year. But, you know, Giannis uh, with the additional spacing and his improvements from last year i just don't know if there's an answer for him. maybe the other thing that could happen is Kyrie really just goes nuts he, you know he, he was very efficient in game one although not on like the hugest amount of volume last night he, he was eight out of 22 and it got to the foul line more than could be expected so maybe he's gonna just go crazy i think Kyrie irving needs to get a lot more threes up th- than he's been getting he was two of eight in this one but some of those were desperation attempts late uh because yeah it's just if milwaukee has got it worth. the Celtics offensive approach just can't quite be efficient enough to keep up with them um anything else on this
1: one no I think that's all I had
0: yeah I I think game four is going to be fascinating because if Milwaukee takes that and they close this out in five which they would be big favors to do if they win game four I mean that's the sort of ignominious defeat that could send Kyrie Irving to the exit all right we got to do this awesome four overtime Portland Denver game it left it to the end because we're gonna really go through it in excruciating detail it was a marathon to do it for me and now we're going to do a marathon podcast on it but i want to tell you first that you could have been watching this game on hulu for much less expensive than cable Giannis is the only player to ever get a signature slipper deal (laughs) hulu is paying him a lot of money to wear fluffy green hulu has live sports slippers they got Joel Embiid to change his nickname from The Process to Joel Hulu Has Live Sports Embiid. And Damian Lillard got a tattoo that says Hulu Has Live Sports, which you probably could have seen in that quadruple overtime game. You can watch live sports and news, your favorite teams, the biggest games on 60-plus top channels for just $45 a month. No cable required. Follow your teams all season. And also, Hulu has awesome originals as well. I was actually a, a Hulu subscriber to their original programming. Pen fifteen is absolutely hilarious great show they've got the entire seinfeld catalog well worth it just for the original programming and then when you throw in the live tv 45 dollars a month is a steal note that the live tv plan is required restrictions apply learn more at hulu H-U-L-U.com. okay so i think the, the way we'll do this is just talk about some of our main takeaways from the game and then we'll just get into the absolute nitty-gritty of what happened in the end of regulation and all for uh, of these overtimes but I I think the place to start is just what this means for the rest of the series Nikola Jokic played just an absolutely insane number of minutes in this 140 to 137 win oh come on Nate
1: 64 minutes and 58 seconds in a single NBA game Uh. it's not that ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) but actually that's where I want to start because not not I'm sure some people have been going after Malone and there there are plenty of things to talk about in terms of how much they were used. But I don't want to start there. What I want to start with is what I think is the reason why Nikola Jokic played that much. And that's because the Nuggets got absolutely waxed in this short period of time that he did not play. In it was the end of the first and the beginning of the second. I thought this was a really important stretch of the game. So, so he comes out and it was a three point margin. It was about to go to four because somebody was at the free throw line. And then by the time he comes back in, it's nine about to go to 10 because Rodney Hood was at the free throw line. Hood got to the line for four free throws during that time. Nuggets missed a couple shots, had a few fouls. And I think what it was a reminder for Mike Malone is, well, shit, if if we're going to try to win this game and win this series, we need Jokic on the floor because he just doesn't trust their other guys to keep them in it. And you never expect when a game starts that you're going to be playing a guy instead of it being 45 minutes, that it's going to be 65. And Jokic's centrality to the Nuggets, or in some ways his irreplaceability, I think is, is a bigger story some in some ways than the fact that he played 65 minutes.
0: I don't find that compelling. Uh, I mean, uh, not in a game three. In a game seven, yeah, play them 45 minutes. If if it's an elimination game, play them 45 minutes. You're coming into a situation here. Series is tied at one. You need to win one of these two games. This game is not desperation. You're playing every other day in this series until there's a two-day gap in between a potential game six and seven. Mason Plumlee makes $13 million a year. You can bring in Paul Millsap, who is a a very good player. Portland's bench units... at the start of the second and fourth quarters are not exactly destructive units. You need to be able to survive and all four playing guys a ton of minutes, but this is like in a game 3, even to play him 45 minutes. That's a little bit much to me. I mean, it, so you want to play him 41 minutes, okay. But the entire second half, that is that does not make sense to me. I mean, I think you know it, it was tough for him when I, when he started the fourth. Then they end up going down by six, pretty much right after that. And you're like, okay, if you're going to get him some rest, now would in theory be the time. But now you just got, went down six, so you got to keep him in. And, and you know, I, I mean, I think you just you got to plan a little better than that. Um, and if you need to put all of your other best players on the floor when he's off the floor to do it, that's fine. Um,
1: and, and I first of all, I should say that I agree with you. I was more putting that out there as Mike Malone's thought process. Sure. And, sure. and the idea that you, you don't think about the potential big picture of a four overtime game when a game is even in the second half. And and you brought up, which I think is fair, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, I thought they were going to pull Jokic at the end of the third, but then that's when Portland did a little bit of a push. They got it to eight, and then they got it all the way to 10. And I'm guessing what his thought process was, well, crap, if we, if we get outscored by seven again, then this game is over. And when everything is like a short-term calculation of what do we need right now, you get into some of these circumstances it's not usually as ridiculous as 65 but if it's you know these two minute increments if we can't lose him for these two minutes then you can start to get into problems and as you said you know they have a lot of guys on this roster that cost money they have a lot of talented players they could go with Millsap at center they could go with plumley you know ideally go with plumley at center and yeah,
0: that's another one they could try to do they could have gone Millsap at center they haven't yeah, they haven't, they they haven't wings. tried they could, that in, at all in it's playoffs.
1: it's not like portland plays so big that having let's say tory craig at power four, something they did at moments in the Spurs series is going to kill you. Oh no yeah. he's going to be guarding Alpha. Mills have only
0: played 29 minutes in regulation.
1: Yeah it's so I, I think Malone even I think you're right to bring up that and then once you get into overtime I remember this from a game from an NBA finals game I think that was in 2015. Kerr brought in Festus Ezeli solely for the jump ball and then couldn't sub him out for a few minutes and basically went I'm never going to do that again because the stoppages in overtime time are so sporadic and you can't really give up fouls because these guys have been in the game so much so at that point coaches basically just go unless something happens I want to have my best guys out on the floor and Terry Stotts basically admitted this I mean he was getting all this praise for the the brilliance of bringing Rodney Hood in but he said Moharkos was cramping up that's why that's why he pulled him it wasn't because he had this spark of inspiration that Rodney Hood is going to fix this game it was one of his players wasn't really ready to go and so he had to bring in someone else yeah
0: certainly I mean it's difficult in the overtime we will talk about it more Of just when when you're gonna because you never it's never a smart move to just assume that there's gonna be three more overtimes right like so you just okay we got one more overtime here i'm gonna leave these guys it's only five more minutes blah blah um couple other big notes here CJ McCollum 41 points in 60 minutes 16 of 39 from the field 4 of 11 from three he was doing just enough it really was the main guy for them even more than Lillard down the end of regulation and into the overtimes Lillard 28 points on 10 of 24 I thought Denver's strategy of putting two on the ball and getting the ball out of the hands worked pretty well Lillard actually ended up having more success just attacking one-on-one off the dribble than he, he did in pick and roll ultimately. Uh the Blazers only had 23 assists on 52 field goals. They shot 52 out of 124 from the field, 42%. Uh, but these actually were relatively efficient offensive games in the end. It really went down once they got into guys being exhausted and lots of isolations, extremely slow pace as well but the offensive rebounding was massive uh, for both teams both teams were over 35 percent offensive rebounds uh, in this game and there are just a lot of crazy hustle plays in the overtimes just when it happened to be that one guy could summon a a spectacular effort on that possession with everyone else uh, exhausted jamal murray gutted through that thigh contusion that clearly was limiting him he was fantastic but then just was completely out of gas in the overtime especially by the second overtime i mean he couldn't run a pick and roll he couldn't even run off from the corner to go get a dho he couldn't rise up at all for jumpers i mean he really left it all out there but he was at the point where he was totally out of gas and, and probably should have at least gotten a quick sub because it got to and especially with the way they were targeting him on defense it got to the point where he just like couldn't move well enough to create a shot and he was like clearly a liability and probably should have been taken out at that point i mean i know he's one of your best players but are you just just watching him he just couldn't even he just didn't have the energy and maybe he could have recovered if you gave him a quick break well and you Um,
1: you talked about and I and I agree with you with Jamal Murray gutting it out how about the two Portland starters Mo Harkless was a game time decision played 45 minutes in this game. And then Ennis Canner, not only did he play 56 and a half minutes, but it looked like he re-injured his shoulder in the first overtime. He was also, ha- I, he, he fell diving for trying to recover a loose ball. I don't know if he fell into the cameras or seats or whatever, but he, he looked to have discomfort moving uh, what hockey would call a lower body injury at that point in the game. And so these guys are just going. And part of that, I guess, was the lack of suitability of replacements. There was an, a, a part before this game went to overtime that... I was going crazy just about even though he ended up with a, like a positive plus minus and stuff. Just how ill-fitted Zach Collins is for this level of play. That he was just kind of had some had some reckless reckless situations out there, and he was getting. He still has a little bit of trouble with Mason Plumley, though. I think he did better in that capacity during this game. But these coaches basically saying we don't trust anybody else enough to really go to them, with the exception of Will of Will Barton, who had his own trick or treat performance.
0: Yeah, m- mostly treat uh, in the overtime but, but we'll, we'll get to some of the things that, that he did and didn't do there I mean I thought it was interesting that Malone decided to stick with Barton basically because he hit a couple of three pointers so he made two threes from the top of the key and now all of a sudden he's uh, our best option rather than looking at an entire playoffs worth of evidence and maybe even a regular season that it, Torrey Craig could have been better but Craig didn't shoot it as well he he's, uh, has not hit the three ball since uh, that crazy five of seven performance in I think it was game four against the Spurs. Uh, overall, a few other overall notes here. Um, I, I turned the game on. Y- you had gone home after we did the NBA cast for Bucks Celtics. I had said, all right, I'll, I'll just turn it on and do it by myself for the end if it's close. And so I turned it on with six minutes left in the game thinking, all right, you know, I'll do this for like 15 minutes of real time. And then was still doing it. Like, I, I think the the stream ended up being like over an hour and a half. It was like almost as long as the full Bucks Celtics game. Uh,
1: Which was a pretty game, by the way. Yeah. Should I give my my statement <laughs> yeah, of how long? Yeah. <laughs> so so I got back, and I, I ended up watching the fourth quarter and the overtimes with friends, and they were hungry, so we ordered a deep-dish pizza early in the first overtime. It was baked, delivered, and consumed before the end of this game. And I joked about it because they said, like, oh, it'll be 40 minutes, and it ended up being way longer than that. And I'm like, oh, who, who knows? Maybe the game will still be going then. And it absolutely was. But it was... I, I think what made this so engaging for me was first of all the like taking turns of who ended who was still like alive enough to play well but also the incredibly high stakes of this game because you're never going to just tuck in and say oh man we're too tired we need to concede this game. It's a best of seven series that was tied one to one. Uh
0: Yeah and Mike Bowie uh, at, at InPredict is his Twitter account Uh he keeps track of something called Excitement Index which is basically just a look at how much the win probability yo-yos back and forth in game and how often so it's kind of based on how close is the game how much is each team looking like they're going to win and then the other team looking like they're going to win it and with all of the back and forth he said it had the highest excitement index of any nba playoff game since 1996 and the second highest excitement index of any nba game during that time i mean it was just absolutely exhausting and you didn't go through despite the fact that everyone was so exhausted in the overtime you didn't go through these stretches where it was like oh someone just scored two points in five minutes It's like, teams were scoring, no team ever led by more than five in any of the overtimes. But it seemed like every overtime, there was a team that went up by five or by four, and then was able to come back. I mean, just... I think in the last like three minutes of the third overtime, Portland led by four, and then Denver came back and they led by four. Um, They're amazing shots, huge gaffes. I mean, this game had it all. It was really just incredible. So th- the lesson is for me, I guess, is do the NBA cast uh, when Portland is playing at home uh, in these playoffs because uh there have been some great games in that arena. Um, a few other notes here, just to, in general, uh, of things that we have to keep track of. Jokic had 17 in the third, uh, and at one point, was four of five from downtown he really uh, after a relatively quiet first half i think that's part of why malone stuck with him as well because he was just playing so well with that 17 in the third it, to really it, keep them in it they actually lost that third quarter by four points uh, nonetheless and and uh, denver had to outscore them 26 21 in the fourth uh, to tie it i thought that gary harris was awesome on damian lillard and that his falling out was massive as we'll talk about it a little bit later uh they've gotten more in the starting group with Craig on Lillard and Harris on McCollum. And I would actually switch that up. I think Harris is better on Lillard. And I think the the length of Craig is a little bit better on McCollum. And they ended up in the overtimes going with Harris on Lillard and then uh, Barton on McCollum. And, and as mentioned, Barton had some really nice moments where he had a couple of blocks, uh, but he also had plays where he just lost track of his man. Uh, also has a really impossible job trying to guard CJ and pick and roll with Jokic as exhausted as he was uh, trying to contain uh, and they were getting pretty good looks every time they went at Jokic in the overtime um really thought they could have gone to Paul Millsap more in the overtime as mentioned he was pretty fresh um and it seemed like whenever these teams went to guys who were fresh like Hood was an example uh Gary Harris had a couple of drives I really thought they could have used him a lot more down the end maybe have him handle it and pick and roll have him be the guy running off the DHOs uh as as opposed to Murray who was just so gassed by that point um Harris falling out was massive and yeah I mean it, it was tough though to see who they should have gone to I mean, they, they went to Beasley at times uh, as a defensive replacement for Murray but it, he wasn't he's not really a great defensive player either Monte Morris isn't a great defensive player it would have been nice to have someone like Hernan Gomez available for some of these defense only possessions to get a little bit more size and switchability but obviously he's been out of the rotation for months and months um and yeah. I think that's all I got. So should we, uh, any other like big themes that that stuck out to you here? Or should we talk a little bit about how this changes the rest of the series maybe before we like really get into the nitty gritty?
1: What's hard about talking about how this changes the series is I think, honestly, I think the mental part of this is more important than the physical because both teams deal with the physical and only one team has to deal with losing this game. And they play, you know, less than 48 hours after game three finally concluded. And my instinct, I don't, I'd love to do more, we're digging on this don't have the time in the immediate is that it's a, probably a little bit overstated because it really is momentum is the next day starting pitcher with these two teams and especially because Denver has this striking element this season where they have a bunch of good shooters but they've been incredibly inconsistent as a three-point shooting team if they just make some shots early I don't think they're going to be thinking too much about oh damn we should have won that game they still all they need is to win game four and they have home court advantage in this year
0: yeah and Feldman had this that that teams that lose a double overtime playoff game and play the next game on the road are actually six and six which considering that you're on the road is better than would be expected i mean there certainly is a that yo-yo effect to some degree in the playoffs that, that's been documented so that's part of it but all right we're gonna break this down in excruciating detail i rewatched the entire fourth quarter all of the overtimes this morning I'm gonna give you all of our notes on that and you know i realize that might not be for everyone here it's gonna be excruciating detail but for a game like this i think we got to get on record a uh, with what happened and if you didn't watch it you can relive just the absolute crazy yo-yoing that occurred with this pod and that's uh what we do for our listeners here just like you would go out of your way for your mother you're gonna make sure that the special mom or mom now that i'm married uh i have two moms we're gonna try and make them happy with sherry's berries special mother's day berries designed just for mom topped with chocolate chips pink shimmer sugar and swizzles got mine delivered a few days ago these things are enormous it's like Four bites and I take huge bites. So they are consists of quite a few helpings. Your satisfaction is always guaranteed. They send it to you in a box with some dry ice in it to make sure that they are perfectly fresh. And you can choose your delivery date to ensure that mom gets your gift of Sherry's berries exactly when you want her to. So don't wait until the last minute on this one. Mother's Day is Sunday, May 12th. One week away probably from when you are listening to this episode. Just get it out of the way. Take care of it during the day. Sunday during the day monday go ahead buy this uh, and feel good that you've got your mom taken care of for mother's day you can even double the berries for ten dollars more above that $19.99 price that that they start at visit berries.com b-e-r-r-i-e-s.com click on the microphone and enter my familiar cap space code easy remember we talk about cap space all the time here on the program that's berries.com click the microphone and enter code cap space ah yes all right let's pick it up here late in the fourth the nuggets ran the same play two in a row from it being tied at 95 where they had set a, a cross screen for Jokic and he has the option on that play to either go into the posts or to set a screen for jamal murray on the left wing with a little bit of an advantage his guy trailing behind and it was pretty late in the clock on both of those plays they switched Cantor onto murray and murray hit two crossover long jumpers one was a two with his heels on the three point line the other one was a three it was able to take advantage of, of Cantor. he still had his burst at this point in the game and was able to give denver a five point lead with 155 left this it's really the first time you look at it. And it's like, all right, the game's not over, but at this point in time, they are substantial favorites. But Portland outscores them 7 to 2 in the rest of regulation to tie it at 102 going into the overtime. I'm going to just continue here. Feel free to break in a, on any of these plays. Sure, well,
1: that's where I wanted to go is that, US, okay, Portland's down five. They need to score that much within, I think it was a minute, a minute and 40, something in that range. And Mo Harkless getting the next two shots was shocking to me. But it made sense within where the offense went on those possessions. It's not like he was forcing it or anything like that to me, especially especially when it got fouled.
0: This also is interesting to note, was in the middle of a, an absolutely exhausting stretch. Malone had called his use it or lose it timeout with like 311 left. And then it was basically continuous action until that Harkless and one, which was under a minute. So with that level of intensity, two consecutive minutes with no stoppages at all is absolutely absolutely exhausting i mean murray was totally gassed uh after those two violent moves to get open for the three-pointers against cancer during that period they had a pick and pop for harkless to hit that three and harkless really struggled from three this year he did not get that famous 35 percent bonus this year uh and lillard set up both of those the second one off a baseline drive and harkless had a, a beautiful euro step on jokic and so that happened in two possessions in a row they had a, he had a chance to give him the lead but he missed the Key free throw, unlike in the end of that game five uh, against OKC. And so Portland actually scores seven consecutive points with Lillard getting a two for one with 31.6 left. They ran a small, small pick and roll to get Murray onto. I thought Murray defended him reasonably well. They help out. Lillard picks up his dribble at the three point line, goes into a floater. He takes off from the elbow after his two steps and somehow makes it. Lillard's not known for having a great floater either. Murray was contesting a pretty I mean, that was just how ridiculous of a shot that was and he was rushing it to try and get the two for one there but that's I I mean to imagine that going absolute full speed picking up your dribble at the three point line and making a floater it was just a, a preposterous play then Denver calls their own timeout thinking that they're going to try to get the two for one and perfect play call for this to tie it Jokic comes to the ball Barton I think was the inbounder he then goes into a split cut in the corner fakes the screen and then goes right back door Uh, he beat Lillard really badly and Jokic with a great pass no help was there uh, when you give up that obvious of a back door and so he lays it in going the other way Lillard runs the time down I think there's about a four second differential at that point because the Denver score so quickly Lillard goes one-on-one against Harris forces help and alfru Camino who missed a number of wide open shots that could have really changed the game uh missed a, a wide open three at the top Denver gets uh, the and then I, and I go- rebound. yeah and
1: then I went completely crazy because oh I'm
0: sure you did yeah Jamal, so did
1: Jamal Murray grabs the rebound with about 3.6 seconds left it immediately just passes it was line. more than that it
0: was like 4.5 and yeah and so lot. they
1: could have they could have gotten a pretty good shot off of that he had, he throws the ball immediately so that. And you can't advance it. But they still don't call a timeout for another few seconds. But then the one that also drove me crazy so then they they can't, they have, they call the timeout, but then Denver can't advance it. It's still in the backcourt. So Millsap just hucks the ball towards the front court. which, sure, by all means, you can do that. Portland got it. Portland still had a timeout left, too. They could have called that timeout and maybe gotten something, maybe get to the free throw line. And I think if they had called the timeout, they would have had meh, like a second, second and a half left. And yeah, instead-
0: it was 1.8 when they inbounded it. So, yeah it got intercepted immediately yeah if they call the timeout right then they could have had something
1: yeah so so you have these two teams like two yeah i'm just saying they're going like both of you could have won this game right now and then that was of course not in the context of how long it ended up going
0: yeah well i I thought it was really inexcusable i thought murray got that rebound with 4.5 and he goes and starts dribbling. now certainly you would say the players should have the awareness there but that's tough especially for murray i mean you're jumping up you're you're tracking that ball in the air now you just have to have and because there was a sequence with Aminu taking the shot and 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 also their team had
1: just called a timeout and you really don't want to call your call it when you don't have one left
0: but they did have a timeout
1: yeah but but I know but if you think (laughs) if you're supposed to know that yeah uh, ideally uh,
0: but you know so I can understand Murray not having that great of a conception of how much time is left uh and feeling like okay we should go and try and push it down I really put it on Malone because he doesn't actually he eventually called the timeout but it wasn't until there's 1.8 seconds left I mean that's 2.5 seconds that's an eternity in that time but Malone is in a position there to be watching the clock and n- when the ball's in the air knowing how much time there is I mean that's that's your job as the coach like what else you you And you're not on the floor the only thing you should be thinking about at that point is the ball is in the air is do we call time out or not and so he can very easily see that he needs to just be ready with knowing that it's under five seconds you're not going to be able to push the ball down and get a good look that he should have the timeout call instantly ready as soon as his team secures the rebound and even if Murray dribbles it right away generally the refs will give you the benefit of the doubt there To that, as the coach to call the timeout and then you're able to advance the ball as long as you don't dribble it first. If you dribble it first off a defensive rebound then you cannot advance the ball unless you take another timeout and they only had one remaining. So I, I thought that was a pretty big failure. So going to the first overtime, Cantor. it was reported that he injured his shoulder again on in the first overtime I think he might have actually done it just trying to reach up to do the tip uh, with his left hand Um, and he did not do the tip uh, after that I mean he was running up and down the floor he was saying he had to put his arm into his jersey to keep his shoulder from popping out as he was running up and down the floor Um, CJ McCollum got going early in the first overtime he attacked in transition which he's done a great job of all series of just when the defense is scrambled looking to get his man on his heels and get to his pull up Uh, Denver then blew a late clock switch between Murray and Barton and McCollum was able to hit a a big three-pointer to put him up three then there was the Jamal Murray losing his shoe possession. <laughs> Do you remember that one? And Yo- they well, got and, the and, and Jokic rebound. getting
1: totally like baffled by it and just holding the ball. And then that was the one where he threw the flat foot pass, right?
0: Uh, one of his like bad cross court turnovers, and that ended up being huge. He throws it to CJ, and then Gary Harris gets called for a loose ball foul, which is his fifth. You yeah. know, two overtimes later, he ends up falling out. Um, so then a key play, they take Cantor out, put Hood in to go offense and Malona brings in Craig to, to go defense and Portland can't score and so with they've got Aminu and Harkless on Murray and Jokic so they can switch that pick and roll but that left Hood on Millsap and it was great recognition from Denver to throw it to the post to Millsap and Millsap just went right in the lane went right through Hood to tie the uh, I'm sorry, actually give Denver the lead we're not going to talk about every single play here Murray had hit a three off a, a Jokic post up earlier to tie it 107 so Denver's up two with 47.1 left. Lillard missed a really tough three on Harris. And then I thought this was a really... If I had to look at like who made more mistakes during these overtimes I would probably look at Denver and this was one that was really bad they had about a 14 second differential and Denver worked it around they get it to Torrey Craig Damian Lillard great close out forces him to drive and then just takes it from him pushes it down floor with 16.5 seconds is when that turnover is listed in the play-by-play Lillard airballs a finger roll
1: he short-armed that by so much it was a I was shocked I kind of thought he got hit because of how off it was but he did not get hit
0: And and it looked then he goes after it and it looked like he was about to grab it and get called for a travel but Torrey Craig tried to grab it it squirts out of his hand Aminu gets it to McCollum and McCollum makes a floater so that happened with 8.7 seconds left eight seconds basically from the time of the turnover Will Barton and Nikola Jokic still were not inside the three point line on the other side and Jokic was exhausted and he at least kind of jogged back and just but Barton was just standing on the baseline he just never even move he started walking back just assuming I and mean, there's 15 seconds left in the game like what are you conserving your energy for you're up to just sprint back especially Barton who you know yeah he played a lot of consecutive minutes but you know wasn't on the type of minute tolls that someone like Jokic was so that was really bad I mean to let them play three on three for basically eight seconds is just not good enough effort I mean that's it's really just more of a mental thing there than it is physical to just like not sprint back in that situation
1: the- it also gets into something that I thought was unusual about this game that before the fourth overtime so right now we're at 8.7 seconds left Cj hits the floater all of these shots at the end of regulation and the overtimes were all to break a tie this, yeah. the, none of them were to make it a tie game they were all to to seal the victory and just all of them missed
0: yeah that's true there wasn't like a buzzer beater in any of these that like tied the game um so then Denver 8.7 seconds left portland gives a foul to give with 4.5 left uh, they inbound it to Jokic. He's guarded by a, a smaller player. I think it was Aminu. Tries to turn and go into a step back three-pointer from the top of the key. The the play had Jamal Murray coming off a screen. He got wide open. And Jokic, very rarely you'll see this from him, he basically just predetermined what he was going to do, which was to dribble and take this step back. Murray was wide open right in front of his face, and he just never passed it to him. Murray could have just had a, a wide open three. Instead, Jokic takes the fade away. That, that didn't really have much of a chance. And uh, went into double overtime and continuing the feast or famine well
1: sorry i, yeah. I was going to say for me the, the the key part of the second overtime was that's really when jamal murray lost his legs
0: yes yeah he he re- at that point he really just like watching him he couldn't get open off the dho he couldn't you know there are times when he had a, a mismatch he would try and step back and you could tell he just like couldn't rise up for the jumper so i i, I thought at that point and, and this is where i started thinking too hey maybe you throw in plumley just to try and get the tip and, and just get you know, right back in as soon as possible. Yeah, there is the possibility that you could have you know a two-minute stretch with no stoppages. But as tired as Jokic was, I mean, I'm not sure whether hey, an extra minute and a half of game time resting makes a difference. Maybe it just makes a difference for him mentally to just know that you've gotten that rest and you can come back in, you know, as opposed uh, whether that extra two minutes makes a difference when you already have a TV timeout that's three minutes, hard to say, but maybe mentally it, it can make a bit of a difference. Um, but yeah, again, it was just the guys who had the the energy were really making a, a huge difference you know Barton had a, a tip uh, off a couple of offensive rebounds um in a foreshadowing CJ McCollum missed a floater and got his own offensive rebound as Millsap just fell down to try and drive the charge which he was never going to get on that floater and then was completely out of position and, and couldn't get the rebound so CJ scores scores that and then Lillard hit a really deep three off an Alfruka Minu uh, assist after McCollum dropped the baseline again Barton didn't really get a good energetic rotation over to Lillard after he gave up the initial drive McCollum I think beat Jamal Murray I shouldn't say Barton gave up the initial drive it was actually a small small pick and roll and they went at Murray there uh but then Barton could have rotated over to Lillard and he didn't so they're down five with 250 left looking like the Nuggets might be sunk then Barton hits a three up top I think all three of his threes in this game were off essentially the exact same play Nikola Jokic Posting up on the right block, Damian Lillard coming down to double team from the top, throwing it out to Barton, and he hits a, an open three at the top. So he hits that. And then they ran a beautiful split cut action where Millsap set a backstreet on Lillard. Lillard at this point was pretty exhausted as well. And then Millsap had inside position on Lillard, just cuts right to the rim and, and a great assist from Jokic on that one. Barton blocked CJ's pull-up, pull-up jumper. So all of a sudden he's like a, a big superstar. CJ comes back with with I I thought maybe the most difficult shot that anyone hit in all of the overtimes which was this drive hard to his right spin back to his left with the shot clock expiring at the elbow uh, that rattled out and and went back in again I mean that was just a I was going nuts about that shot how difficult it was when I was doing the cast Um, another play where the fresh guy really made a huge difference Gary Harris actually getting a touch just drove right in on TJ and got a layup there was no help there Um, so that ties it at 118 with a minute left cj absolutely broke jamal murray's ankles after they'd gotten an offensive rebound and just missed a wide open three then anis Cantor gets the rebound and just airballs the put back like it wasn't even close um so 30 seconds left they're still yeah tied i, I mean that was the
1: other one dame short short arming the one and then cantor just completely biffing like it was it was a two-foot shot that he shot about a half a foot
0: um so no one would actually score the rest of that overtime the key play was gary harris playing great defense on lillard after the blazers won a jump ball on the other end and lillard tried to go for the step back from real deep and harris was all over it made it a difficult shot it wasn't really that close so uh then it went into the third overtime you got you still here (laughs) (laughs) this thing's still on
1: (laughs) yeah and i i think that the story again it was it was a lot about shot making i mean early in that third overtime you had cj hitting a pull hitting another pull up i mean he had a lot of tough shots during the over time and then started getting more into like Canner, not really getting getting much separation after an offensive rebound Millsap getting the recovery block barton catching dame on that step back and, and really to me that the defense was a significant part of the early part of the third overtime
0: yeah and once again i mean when they ran stuff gary harris made made a three off a sideline out of bounds they just set a screen for him and he just got a wide open three off the sideline out of bounds uh so denver's up one at that point mccollum made another crazy step back on barton I mean, they were getting pretty good looks here out of either going at Murray with the small, small pick and roll or going at Jokic um then they throw it into Jokic lob it up he's got like two guys around him thought he got fouled Aminu stole it from him and then Jokic does the I'm really mad at the refs I'm gonna just run after and like double team Lillard at half court for some reason and then he gets it to McCollum they run a pick and roll with McCollum and Jokic never really got back into position and he just gives up a wide open three to McCollum so it's a five point lead at that point for the Blazers I'm sorry four point lead for the Blazers because that that McCollum long two, the step back was actually, it was really close, but it ended up being a two rather than a three. And then the Nuggets went on a 6-0 run of their own. They look like they're sunk again. Jokic got a post up, which was his only basket in the last 20 minutes of the game. Maybe evidence that he could have used a little bit of a rest. Uh, Barton had a drive for a couple of free throws. And then Murray, as, as it was tied, drove a closeout and got shoved from behind by Aminu with one on the shot clock with really nowhere to go and hits a couple of free throws. And Denver is up two all of a sudden uh and it was it was noteworthy because it seemed like the refs basically like weren't calling any fouls at all and then all of a sudden all these fouls get called um but i thought it was really a very well refereed game overall not to say that they were getting those calls wrong it was just stark when there were almost no free throws in fact i don't think there were any free throws in the first two overtimes now that i now that i think of it but they're they're a bunch down the end here so lillard with 105 left misses a deep three it's not even close and Aminu gives a little shove to Paul Millsap in the back doesn't get called gets the offensive rebound and then Gary Harris fouls out with 102 left in the third overtime just trying to grab the rebound away from Aminu they put in Torrey Craig but it actually got worse for Portland before it got better yeah
1: because they lose that ball
0: yeah yeah McCollum got his pass deflected by Barton I mean that's Barton with a steal and two blocks during these overtime periods uh they slow it down and then Millsap makes this absolutely Ridiculous turnaround jumper in the post over Harkless after they got the switch of Harkless rather than Aminu spin move off his right foot turnaround jumper and 32.2 left Denver is up two or I'm sorry up four and you're wondering all right how are they going to get the two for one here
1: Yeah and so were you expecting a three I was
0: Well I I, I was talking about it and I thought you got to at least go for the two right away and see if you can get the two for one and Lillard just blew past. Craig he rejected the screen, and Craig has struggled directing the ball and pick and roll in this series. And with the way that Denver is playing pick and roll defense, where they're if they're gonna bring the bigs higher up, you have to make sure that the guy uses the screen. Because if you don't, then he's gonna drive by you, and your big who's there to help is running up to protect in case he does use the screen. So he wasn't able to direct the ball. Maybe there's a lack of communication on that play, but Lou just rolls right in for a layup. basically as fast as you possibly can but there's only Denver is not in great shape here they only have a 3.3 differential so even if they're able to get the stop or I'm sorry Portland's not in great shape even if Portland's able to get the stop they've only got 3.3 left to call a timeout and advance the ball and I was actually thinking Denver had one timeout left at this point that Denver should take a timeout it would have been their last one but you in theory wouldn't have had much use for it but just to talk about all right how are we going to run the time down absolutely as long as we can and maybe even even try to take a three that would hit the rim and even run off more time than the 24 seconds but right as i was starting to say that on the nba cast CJ mccollum pokes it away from jamal murray
1: and as and always seems like it's the case on those and i i called it watching watching it though like this call this ball is going to be off the offense you know it's because yeah. it, it gets tipped and whether there's a foul or not there was not a foul in this case just the nature of contact i've been a believer you know when i was trained as a soccer referee it was more about who directed the ball out of bounds rather than who it touched last but the way it is officiated in the nba is it's who touched it last and oftentimes the offensive player's hands are in that position and so it touched Mal it touched jamal murray's finger and so that made it portland ball
0: yeah i mean basically when you're looking at this on replay any situation where a guy gets stripped and the ball goes out of bounds that's almost always going to be off the offense it's almost impossible for a defensive player to hit the ball and then have it not touch the offensive player's hand as it goes out of bounds when you're holding the ball or in this case it was about to dribble it now Jamal Murray deserves a ton of blame here you're he was being lazy he was tired I mean you know lazy might be too pejorative here with considering the fatigue level but you know CJ had more energy and he was able to poke it away you shouldn't be on the sidelines getting trapped like that and you got to just protect your dribble a little bit more if you're Jamal Murray in that situation but just as an overall I think it's something that should be talked about and re-examined of should we change the rule on the play to say if you get it poked away unless you flail and like make contact with the ball again should we just make it that it's out of bounds off the defense now if you want to say hey we're going to give you got to protect the ball you're going to get it poked away like that we're going to give the defense the ball okay but to have it be like there's no way that any referee gives that ball to the defense without replay like and in fact you, there isn't even arguably enough there to review it necessarily but because they look at it you're going to get a different result for the last two minutes of the game than you're going to get throughout most of it. now i understand the idea of hey let's get it right in the last two minutes you can't review everyone but it does seem like on a play like that that on every basketball court in the world every pickup game every time it's not reviewed that's going to go to the offense when the defense knocks it out of bounds that we're going to have a rule change that's going to change that to me i think it probably would make more sense to change it to where that's out of bounds off the defense unless there's another attempt by the offensive player to touch the ball again if the defensive player is providing the impetus out of bounds and it's a continuous contact with the offensive player's hand I think that should stay with the offense but you know, I certainly understand arguments to the contrary and while we're at it by the way you know I've said this a million times but can we just give the guys extra fouls especially in double and triple overtime I mean Gary Harris falling out with six fouls at the end of having played over 50 minutes and in our 62nd minute of game time that seems a a little rough to me but uh, that you don't get more more positive and like who's who's arguing against this anyway like like does anyone be like okay we're we're not gonna give more fouls in double overtime like you want these games to just be decided because it's a a war of attrition like the idea of fouling is just to prevent there from being too many fouls during the course of the game and have it be a penalty for fouling but the idea that with more minutes of gameplay you shouldn't also get more fouls to me doesn't make much sense now if you've already fouled out, I'm not saying, oh, give him more fouls and let him come back in the game if you've fouled out already. you know that That's a, a different story. Um, so Portland gets the ball back?
1: Yeah, so Portland gets the ball back, and then there, you have a similar story in terms of Damian Lillard just beasting on Torrey Craig. This time it wasn't about a screen. It was just an isolation, but again, not much resistance at the rim, and that was a big problem.
0: Yeah, Jokic, he was sort of tied up with Cantor, and yeah, when you give up that severe of a blow-by, and credit to Lillard for having that amount of explosiveness, still left to just blow by Craig as fast as he did and to do it to his right hand too when he's more comfortable as a left-handed driver but Jokic just never reacted I mean that's really yeah he was exhausted but you know he's not known for his help defense And anyway, you could see Millsap afterwards who was in the strong side corner being like hey where the hell are you man um so Denver comes back with it still tied now at 129 and they got a matchup that would have been great Murray guarded by Ennis Cancer and Murray again was totally exhausted but and maybe he thought he had more time than he did but he like backs it way out and ends up shooting like a step back 31 footer which just you got to get a better shot than that against Dennis canner and he had done it early in the game to just you know hard crossover and maybe you know shoot within 25 feet there instead um so then it went into a fourth overtime you, you still here <laughs> how, how was that pizza by the way is this about the time the pizza was arriving
1: yeah I think that actually is around around when it was arriving and I mean so to me the fourth overtime is also so when when you saw really the guys just flailing around a little bit and then of course this is when rodney hood came back in the game and he had a lot he had a lot more verve and a lot of from what i remember it was a lot of tougher shots like that the the one where will i think even even barton's was a little bit tougher aminu missing some shots and then it you know it was th- this was the part where that looked more to me like the first three minutes of this overtime looked more like one of those overtime games where everyone's tired and things are just a little bit flat
0: yeah the one big play there for the Blazers was Ennis Cantor getting an airballed 15-footer from Aminu and actually shooting it with his left hand, uh, which must have been excruciating for him. Uh, Barton had a couple of buckets early for the Nuggets. and Then that Rodney Hood sub came in, actually the first possession with him in. They got a wide open free throw line J for Cantor off of a Lillard drive and that just spun out. A key play too was Damian Lillard fronting Torrey Craig as he tried to post up and get a pass from Jokic and Craig shoved in the back and he got an offensive foul. That was with Denver up two right then. And then the Rodney show started. They just went to him in a straight up iso against Jamal Murray on the right wing. He drove middle. I thought the first time Murray played pretty good defense. Really contested him well, but it was a tough shot in the lane for Hood. That's a shot that he's pretty good at. The floater. Uh, Next time down Barton drove on McCollum. Was kind of out of control. McCollum blocked his shot and it looked like it was going to be a jump ball, but it just kind of squirted out of barton's hands and he recovered it and then got fouled but only hit one out of two then it was back to the hood show with another right wing iso and a step back along the baseline that was a much better look for him to to give portland a one point lead we came right back again swing the ball to Millsap in the right corner this was the He's, one that was pretty yeah.
1: remarkable and it was and it was also just how a reminder of how small portland was at the time that the, that Millsap was just just beasting over all these little lilliputians
0: well and i thought they really still should have gone to Millsap more it's it's not like these teams again couldn't score at all in the overtime but uh he really seemed fresh and had the size advantage against some of these guys um and he was driving across the lane trying to draw the foul doing that thing where he loves to get his his arm into the forearm of the other player and didn't get it so he just has to go up he barely even touched the ball with his right hand fading across the lane with his left hand falling down makes an incredible left-handed floater to give him a one-point lead so at that point the Blazers get a time out down one they put in with Harris out they put in Beasley as a defensive replacement for Murray and he had to match up on Hood they didn't go to Hood and said it was McCollum missing a step back but as had already happened it just bounced right back to him and this is a great great pass in the, the recognition. air he catches it yeah he
1: caught it turned saw him and threw it basically all in one quick turn that was really impressive i think
0: that he uh, he had a, a funny discussion of how like that was all part of the plan he knew it was going to bounce right back to him but i think he actually kind of knew that hood was wide open at the three-point line when he took the first shot and so when it bounced and might have even felt like i ah, maybe i kind of missed him and then it bounced right back to him and so he i think he knew in his head as he was catching it that hood would still be out there with the design of the play and threw it to him hood with a nice up fake, he eluded Barton and then hit the biggest shot of the game uh, that 3 to put him up 138 136, but then the Nuggets go the other way, they put Murray back in, Harkless comes in for Hood, and they actually had Cantor guarding Millsap because they wanted to be able to switch that Jokic Murray pick and roll, now to me, Jokic and Murray were both so exhausted I wouldn't have been so worried about that, frankly Um, and Murray had great recognition, he saw who was guarding him and he says alright, don't screen for me, Nicole go down in the post you've got the advantage and he was able to ISO on a menu draw what would have been a non-shooting foul with two hands in the back but they're in the bonus and then Jokic missed the first free throw which was just such a bummer for him considering how many minutes he played and then at that point they're out of timeouts 5.6 left I was saying this on, on the NBA cast you got to miss the second one at that point to me and they could have subbed in employment well, you I think he was trying probably.
1: to I think he tried to like front rim it or something and just
0: didn't. I, I, I don't think I think they were trying to make it I mean and if he was trying to miss it why wouldn't they have subbed in Plumlee at that point um, or even if he is trying to make it you sub in Plumlee just to potentially get the rebound um, then the Blazers did not try to get the ball in bounds at all they just took their last timeout and advanced it with no timeouts for Denver I think that's a little bit more defensible than trying to get it in right away anyway where you could turn it over and, and you've got the, the advantage of time if Denver has a timeout maybe you try to get the ball in bounds before it advancing it and then if you can't get it into your guy you advance it but I mean Denver is pretty much sunk at this point anyway but then it was really over when Beasley was getting ready he was guarding Lillard he's getting ready to switch onto McCollum and Lillard recognized this and saw that Beasley was just getting ready to switch and then he just runs in the backcourt gets it and runs up most of the remaining time and the game is basically over at that point so all right well thanks for staying with us here (laughs) um this has been fun anything to talk about before we go here Danny
1: Just keep watching the NBA cast. We will be doing one that you can hear on Sunday with this special Saturday night release.
0: Yeah, sounds good. Uh, We will talk to you all on probably Sunday night. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment.